Are we live? Maybe. Hopefully. I think we're live. Yes, live on YouTube, live on Twitter, hopefully Rumble. Probably Rockfin, but I like to wait until I see the button, the go live button. There it is right there. Hit that. And we are live across all platforms. Happy Friday morning to everyone. I believe we're live. Did that work? Yeah, I think so. Happy Friday morning to everyone on the East Coast who's up bright and early tackling the day. And to everybody out on the West Coast who is just now stumbling in from a night out, get to bed right after the show, of course. I have a couple of things that I want to talk about. So let's go ahead and start this off. What McCarthy's ousting truly reveals, the real-time programming of Democrat voters, and Anthony Blinken pulled a stunt during the national emergency alert test that not too many people noticed, which was quite revealing. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. I'm going to step aside briefly so you can see those watching the AI image behind me, and then I will describe it. That's the wrong AI image. Could have sworn I put that up there. I showed you guys that one the other day. I want you to see this one because I thought this one was interesting. So let me pull that up right quick. Uh, the prompt that I put in for what you're about to see was, hold on, here it is right here. It was about the indoctrination of the Democrat mind. Here it is right here. Yes, use that one. That's what I just said. Use. I don't know why this is not working. Again, I did not have the tech prepped on this aspect of it, and this is totally my fault. So I apologize for uh, doing this right now. I should have done this before the show. Why is this not adding it? What, what's going on? Here, delete this background and put the other one in there, for crying out loud. Uh, how about this? I'm just going to share it on screen. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. It does not matter... How many times I use this, this platform, it's like something changes every single freaking time for crying out loud. Where is it? Use this one. There it is right there. And I'm just going to share it up on screen because it's not working the way that it usually works. And I want you guys to see it. Window. All right. All right. So you see it up on screen right there. That, that, that's an interesting uh, image generated by MidJourney. AI there, and it, it, what it is, the, the prompt that I put was Democrats being indoctrinated with lies right before our eyes. That was the prompt to Midjourney AI, and this is one of the image, one of the images that it created. And for those listening, it's like a medium shot of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. They're facing each other while looking towards camera, what would be camera at us, so they're kind of at an angle facing each other. Uh, and the best part about it is their heads in this kind of medium shot close-up, are kind of engulfed into what, in the background, if you look closely, appears to be a heart shape based on the environment they have in the background. And the heart is surrounded by dark, fiery, uh, uh, it's like fiery colored smoke surrounding the heart that both Hillary and Trump are inside of. And Hillary Clinton has blue skin like she's uh, um, an Andorian from the Star Trek shows, except without the tentacles, and, and there's like a couple of what looks like string confetti on her face if the confetti were made of fire. So, so that's, that's Hillary in the image, and directly in the middle of the screen is what looked like, looks like a three-fingered hand attempting to give us, the viewer, 
the bird in the best way that someone with three fingers could possibly do. It's unclear if that's Donald Trump's finger and he's just very disjointed or if there's another person on their knees holding their hand up trying to flick us the bird with their very deformed hand. The reason I wanted to, wanted to point this out is because this image I could appreciate because I did multiple variations of the Democrats being indoctrinated in real time for everyone to see it as a mid-journey prompt. And about 90%, yeah, about 90% of the pictures that came back were of Donald Trump being the one who's indoctrinating the Democrats. And, and that's misleading because that's not really how propaganda works. It's, more, it's not just black and white necessarily, but the main person in charge of delivering the propaganda messages to the Democrats is not someone they don't trust. It's the politician or public figure that they do trust and are least likely to question. So it's a misrepresentation of mid-journey AI. Not that everything, I mean, everything they do is a misrepresentation. But to put Trump as the one who's lying to them, that's just another part of the deception. The reason I chose this one is because it's a weird-looking, cool image. But at least it had both sides doing the deceiving in this image. And man, is that, like, why is Hillary Clinton even in this photo right now? It's just weird. It should not have been Joe Biden. Okay, enough of that. I'm going to get on with the show now after I show off the mid-journey prompt. All right, let's go ahead and dive into this and find my spot here. Okay, so this coverage of what's been going on with the aftermath of McCarthy being ousted, it's been interesting to watch for a number of reasons. One being that it reveals for everyone to see how full of it every single House member that's a Democrat is. All of them right out there for the public, Democrat, Republican, no matter your ideology, you can all see it, and it could not be more clear that they are all liars, and they don't believe what they tell their constituents and their their followers, and they will switch on a whim and then try and gaslight people into thinking there's nothing wrong with taking a position that they've spent the past two years telling everyone who votes for them that if they took, they would be deemed MAGA Nazi racist, right? It's just really crazy. They're all con artists, and there has not been a story that reveals just how much they're con artists like this one, just so obvious. They're beating people over the face with it right now, and obviously many Republicans are con artists as well, obviously. But it's the Democrats I want to focus on today because— the fact that it is so blatant how every Democrat in, in the House of Representatives is a lying con artist presents a conundrum for the supporters of these Democrats, the, the, the voters who are aligned with Joe Biden and the Democrats when they're trying to process this whole McCarthy ousting story. Like it presents a very conflicting uh, a statement of facts that what the media has done because this is very confounding for them, the media, the Washington Post, Yahoo News, Hillary Clinton even, all of the late night hosts, all of them have been working in coordination the past two days to make sure that this conundrum that their supporters are presented with when analyzing this story does not result in these potential Democrat voters seeing what's really going on here and then following a path that would lead to them forming their own conclusions and opinions about what happened when McCarthy was removed, because that is the thing 
that those in power like least. They like to control the conclusions that people make, and they intervene when necessary to prevent critical thinking and the pathway to discovery of truth outside of the bias they've been programmed with. The light in Plato's cave, if you will, seeing the light and finally for once following it, realizing the shadows are on the wall is what they try and prevent from happening all the time. So I should back up and say that Here's a little bit of the context here. It's clear that Democrat voters don't know what's going on, don't know how to feel about uh, McCarthy being outed, right? They're, they're unsure. I've seen this in friends of mine. You can tell there hasn't been the automated responses and reactions. And usually because they've been so conditioned and propagandized for so long about certain issues, all they have to hear or see are certain trigger words that just compel them to just throw up the same talking points all over their social media or to their friends uncritically. They don't have those for this situation. And they've been conditioned here, right, to believe that Republicans are bad in general, but that MAGA Republicans are much, much worse than just regular Republicans. And MAGA Republicans are even evil, a domestic terror threat to the country. And this is a point of confusion here. Should they be happy that McCarthy, who they don't see as a MAGA extremist, they see as a more middle-of-the-road Republican with their conditioning, should they be happy that he was voted out because he's a, Repu- he's a Republican and therefore bad in general, but the ones who initiated his ousting are the MAGA extremist Republicans who are much worse? Should they be happy he's gone? If they're happy he's, he's gone, does that mean they're standing on the side of the MAGA Nazis they, they would never, ever stand on the side of? I, I'm serious here. Your Democrat friends have looked at this story, and they, their brain has started to hurt because cognitive dissonance has kicked in trying to figure it out. And when that happens, they seek out an explanation from their trusted sources, or some of them go and seek out an explanation on their own which the trusted sources would like to prevent. So, further complicating this story for them, it's not just that McCarthy is a regular old Republican and they don't want to feel, they don't want to look like they're siding with the MAGA Nazis. It's also that McCarthy is a pro-Ukraine aid Republican Speaker of the House that was the only guarantee that they had that this aid would continue if he's removed the whole reason that he's being removed or they initiated it is because of his position on the ukraine aid and the attempt will be for the next speaker jim jordan someone who was the first one to i think put his name in or whatever somebody put his name in who is against the ukraine i'm personally against the ukraine aid i'm just talking about what these democrat voters who are very confounded by this story are trying to pro they're trying to to Right, all, all of these things they've been programmed with for the past two years are all coming into conflict right now in this very story. And man, like I would like to watch some of them just process all of this information in this story and watch the crinkles in their head. And, and their brains kind of had my, you know, many little non-harmful aneurysms because it's like, wait a minute, what? Let me continue here. So he's a pro-Ukraine. He, he 
made a deal with Biden. Biden promoted the deal that McCarthy was going to make. We all know this. He, he publicly promoted it. He said, don't worry about the shutdown. The silver lining is McCarthy. While he's a Republican, he's not an extremist Republican MAGA. He's on our side for the Ukraine aid. That was the effing silver lining Biden's been promoting and McCarthy has as well in some public statements he made a little while back, right? Again, why Gates and the others wanted to, to remove him, at least what they said anyway. And so these Democrat voters who've been conditioned for the past two years to believe that ending funding to Ukraine is the worst possible thing that could happen on this planet, like ever, because it would embolden Putin to take over the entire, he would go to Poland next, and then it would just be a matter of time before he's knocking on the doorsteps of Savannah, Georgia, and Charleston, South Carolina, with his army of Russians ready to rape your, your, uh, uh, all of your daughters. Like, that's, that's like the, the type of messaging that they deliver about this. So we better continue funding Ukraine if you don't want your daughter raped by Putin and his Russian army in Charleston, South Carolina. Right? And, and they've been conditioned to believe that advocating uh, for ending the Ukraine funding. So if you don't wholeheartedly, 100% stand in solidarity with Ukraine and, and fight and, and sacrifice everything in your life to put making sure Ukraine funding continues, if you don't do that, well, you are actually a anti-American, anti-democratic, uh, MAGA extremist who is doing Putin's bidding, and in fact, you are a domestic terrorist, and yes, literally, a Nazi. That is the conditioning, right? So they've been programmed to see this issue that way. This is why they have the Ukraine flags in their profile, and it's why they see questions critical of the mainstream narrative as a signal of a dangerous insurrectionist extremist. And it never mattered the fact that Trump was like, why are they doing it? Trump didn't, they, they act like Trump might as well have been standing with Gates when he did all of this. But Trump was like, why are they fighting with each other? It, but they just connect them to it because Trump is that symbol that they can use to trigger all of the, the years of programming that they have uh, um, indoctrinated them with. And since there's like nothing more important than protecting democracy at home and, and preventing all the evilness, Ukraine aid must continue, right? And now here these Democrats are who believe all of these things. I mean, this is a logical thing that we must continue the aid at no cost. And since McCarthy is with Biden, with the Ukraine aid and the, and the Democrats on this, the logical thing to do is to protect McCarthy from being ousted by the MAGA Nazis, right? That's, that's the logical conclusion of anyone who's been subjected to this programming. And yet, that's not what happened. In fact, what happened is the exact opposite, is the Democrats who brainwashed people into this position, they made sure, they had the power to protect McCarthy, but what they did instead is they made a conscious choice to ensure that Ukraine aid would not be protect, protected, McCarthy would be removed, and the MAGA extremist Republicans, who they decided to collaborate on to destroy the very thing that they had convinced all of their supporters was the most important thing on the planet for two years, in one single swoop. And your, your mind as a Democrat voter who loves all of these people, AOC, has just got to be a, what the F, 
I broke up with my girlfriend. I haven't talked to my family in two years because they asked questions about Ukraine aid. And I said, you're a Nazi. All of my relationships have been destroyed. I can't, none of my friends like me anymore. All because I listened to these Democrats who are now collaborating with the MAGA Nazis. They told me, need to be ousted from the country and deprogrammed, right? I mean, this is uh, possibly a transformative experience for some of these Democrat voters if, if they are allowed to sit and reflect and then explore why this happened before the propaganda machine can intervene and give them the morally moral justification to why this one time it was necessary for the Democrats to side with the Nazis because there was no other choice and democracy depends. So they need to give them a reason and they need to model for them the best way to respond to criticisms uh, of the of what's going on here. And like, I really wish I could. There's some serious cognitive distance going on for a, a lot of Democrats here. So let, let me take this even a step further. Like, what's the guy's name? Jamal Bowman, the fire alarm guy, whose office, a little bit after that incident, sent out official talking points that called MAGA extremists in the House, called them Nazis in the official talking points, right? That guy, whose office called MAGA Republicans Nazis, voted alongside those very MAGA Republican Nazis to remove McCarthy just two days later. He looked at the the situation and said, look, I wouldn't normally say this as a Democrat, former principal who pulled a fire alarm because I thought it would open a door, but just this one time, it's time to vote in solidarity with the Nazis. This is the situation Democrat voters have to either scrub from their mind or figure out how to justify. It's a little bit crazy, right? And when you see that all of the people you've trusted, literally every single Democrat, is a lying POS who doesn't care about the issues that they bind to people's hearts and minds who support them because they're like Saul Alinsky, never Never fall prey and be too committed to the BS that you organize, the people you, the, the masses that you manipulate around. That's their basic philosophy. And all of this is revealed. And so they need a ready-made explanation to combat their own cognitive dissonance, to satisfy their confirmation bias, and to know how to react anytime someone who points this out you know, might bring it up. Sorry, I lost my place for a second there. So, like, this is why the media has intervened the past couple of days. Because if they waited too long to provide the proper explanation to these people, then, like I said, some of them would do the most dangerous thing on the planet, we learned. It's called do your own research. They'd say, oh, my God. All of these Democrats who convinced me that the world is this one way just went and sided with the Nazis that they call Nazis anyway. They said, never in any circumstance should you ever side with destroying the security of the Ukraine aid that I've been convinced for two years is the most important thing 
far more important than all of my domestic concerns on this planet. And now they're like, F it, I am with destroying that, right? A person like that would seek further information, doing their own research, which is exactly why the media has coordinated across all sectors the past couple of days to intercept people before they could possibly find out any information that might lead them down a path to coming to their own conclusions, which would almost definitely be a conclusion that comes into conflict with the prescribed conclusion that the propaganda narrative has ready for them. So what the media does is something that Edward Bernays called since book propaganda, public education. In that, use these terms, it sounds so nice. Public, we have to educate the public. It's public education, which actually just means educating, propagandizing the public on how they're supposed to feel about or, or what they're supposed to believe about certain issues that they haven't yet been programmed with an opinion for. So, oh no, we have to stop them. Let's publicly educate them with the correct way to view this. And that has been going on like crazy. And I'm going to show you something. It was, like, it's really wild. And so like after hearing this, I know I'm going around circles a little bit here, but this stuff is really interesting. After hearing this, you're going to look at the news in a different way because this goes on periodically. There, there's always the media constantly triggering certain positions in people because they know all the things that have been programmed. But it is just such a unique thing. It's not that unique, but it's such an interesting thing to see how they, how they do it, how they brainwash them in real time when they are tasked with the, uh, the job of having to um, publicly educate them so that in the future they can then trigger the automatic responses. I actually really enjoy watching some of this stuff here. So here's this deliberate public education process going on here, starting with this clip of Stephen Colbert. you got to bring back the late-night shows. I was, I was wondering about this because the late-night shows are a major source of propaganda for the two or three people that still watch them. And Colbert, on his second day back, he, he is engaging in this art of public education – telling his viewers how they should feel about, about the McCarthy situation. Let me, let me get this up for you. Sorry, I'm uh, doing my, my technology test again. I'm, I'm eliminating variables that don't work, and I'm impl implementing new ones, so I do apologize for not having the clips always teed up and ready to go. If I did, it would probably shut down my system. So here it is right here. Let me get this up. I mean, obviously McCarthy. All right. This is, this is just unbelievable. Here it is. So, I mean, obviously, McCarthy can't blame anybody but himself. Is what I thought. I think today was a political decision by the Democrats. Really? You handed a straight razor to the craziest, most selfish nihilist in the entire MAGA mob and said, just hold this to my neck. And if I say or do one thing you don't like, just slice away. And you're blaming the Democrats? It reminds me of that iconic scene in Jaws. This was a political decision from the Democrats. <laughs> but okay, what a hilarious, hilarious thing there. And you can see that the entire joke was it, most. So when you do stand-up comedy, you learn that you have to you have to balance setting up a premise that the audience 
understands, is a shared understanding of that premise. And then the joke violates something within that premise or, or there's some incong- you know, it's incongruent or, or just a position. And that creates the, the laugh. But it's all based on that uh, group understanding that everybody has with the setup. That's, that's not really present here with what Colbert is doing. So Colbert is having to explain in detail why this is the way that it is. And he is modeling to have any responsibility to bear at all for McCarthy being ousted, right? Because they know that probably next week, the focus is going to shift more towards the Ukraine aid that is in jeopardy because McCarthy is gone and they need to make sure before they get to that focus that all of the Democrat voters know 100% that anyone who says the Democrats have any responsibility for that aid to Ukraine being in jeopardy, you, they are absolutely crazy and they need to react the way they like. He acts like it's preposterous to suggest this at all. It's like saying that Jaws killed your friend because of the Democrats. Let's look at the numbers here. And this is important because they try and make sure nobody thinks about these numbers at all. The vote to remove McCarthy was one, 216 to 210, right? The number of Republicans that voted in favor of removal was eight. Eight. That's just under 4% of the total vote that resulted in McCarthy being removed. 96%. Of the vote that resulted in McCarthy's removal and the Ukraine aid being jeopardized, which they will blame on MAGA extremist Republicans, hardcore in the coming weeks, 96% of the vote was from the Democrats, right? But it's preposterous and insane to suggest that they have any responsibility the way that, like, your friends, some of them, some of my friends, will probably, like, actually laugh in the same cadence and have the same like jerky reaction that Colbert did there because this is intentional. They, they, they want to like literally, they want people to literally mimic the way that they react to this very truthful and relevant information so that they dismiss it and never consider it. And in fact, 208 Democrats voted on that day that were there. You know how many of the 208 Democrats that voted, voted for McCarthy to stay? Voted to protect that Ukraine aid, which he was the only guarantee of protecting that, which Biden uh, assured them of multiple times in the, in the days leading up. You know how many Democrats voted for that? Zero. Zero Democrats who have been telling their supporters that there's nothing more important than Ukraine aid. And if you suggest otherwise, you are literally a MAGA Republican domestic terrorist Nazi Putin lover. They all cited, all 208 of them, stood and voted in, in solidarity with the MAGA Nazis against the Ukraine. But it's crazy to suggest that that had anything to do with this happening. They are pre-bunking, so to speak, arguments that people are going to hear from their friends and family. And they're trying to get them in a position where they never even think about these numbers or consider them. So Colbert's an asshole, right? This is this is him engaging in the public education process. He has no problem doing that. I, I just, 
I don't, maybe this is what Colbert always wanted to do. I have no idea. Maybe when he first got into comedy, he was like, I have a career path. I am going to become a propagandist for the state, a shame, the most shameless propagandist for the state. I will do anything they tell me to do. It doesn't matter how big the lie. It doesn't matter how ridiculous the propaganda piece. I will do it. And my path to that dream of mine is I'm going to become an improv uh, comedian who does uh, a show who pretends to be a Republican because that will eventually get me in the political. It's just weird because he's such a sellout and he was a good comedian. And it just makes me sad. It's like, why is being a sellout more important to you than your art, which you took a piss on years ago and have ceased to engage in? Sorry, that's my own personal qualm there. We're going to see some more of this public education process here. Coming from Jake Tapper of CNN, who lays it on really thick, this public education. He's discussing here with uh, a pro-McCarthy Republican, somebody who voted for McCarthy to stay. I don't know the guy's name. I just know that he looks like Luke Wilson. So we'll call him Representative Luke Wilson. And again, I opposed Ukraine aid. I'm just illustrating this brainwashing program that's like happening right before our eyes is very interesting th- th- how this apparatus works. Here's Jake Tapper uh, making sure that none of his viewers dare humor the possibility that Democrats had any role in, in removing McCarthy and thus uh, je- uh, jeopardizing Ukraine, despite having full power to stop it. Here we go. Uh, let's be really clear. You had eight, eight uh, Republicans that came together yesterday with 208 Democrats. Uh, so effectively, this was a Democrat eviction. Look at Jake Tapper's face. He doesn't give a rat's ass about those numbers. He's not listening. He's preparing what to say. They always say active listening is listening to what people are saying. Most people, because they're most people are thinking about what to say next as opposed to listening in the moment. Jake Tapper doesn't give a rat's ass. This guy says of Speaker McCarthy and really didn't represent the the true position of real Republicans yesterday. No, no minority party ever votes for the opposition leader to be the speaker. I I don't find the Republicans blaming this on Democrats to be very convincing. If the shoe was on the other foot. What what is he talking about? What, What is Jake Tapper talking about no minority no minority party ever votes for the opposition leader to be speaker that's it nobody's talking about who voted for the opposition leader that's a completely different subject and yet he, he injects that in there as as a response to literal numbers that 96 percent of the democrats voted to remove mccarthy only four percent of republicans did meanwhile 96 percent of the Republicans voted to keep keep McCarthy, while zero percent of the Democrats voted to keep McCarthy. And Jake Tapper's explanation to those concrete, verifiable numbers is no, 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 no minority party ever votes for the opposition leader. That is cognitive dissonance on full display right there. Whether he's actually feeling it, he looks like he is, or he is just attempting to demonstrate it to his viewers. This is how you behave when presented with Hard facts and relevant information that will destroy any action that will destroy uh, uh, what you were led to believe about Democrats. This is how you maintain that worldview that's just bullshit. As you just, ah, nobody, you change the subject completely 
and you 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 act, you put on a face. Jake Tapper, I, I'll give the guy credit for this. If you view him as a journalist, then you're going to rack your brain because he's never done journalism in his life. But if you view him for what he is, a state a propagandist for the state, he is paid to get up every morning and go tell some bullshit to the camera. And he, he's paid to do it with an expression on his face that gives utter disdain and is completely dismissive to every single verifiable, meaningful fact that undermines the overall government uh, um, string puller narrative. Anything that's relevant and truthful, Jake Tapper is to act like it's meaningless and stupid so that the people who watch him do as well. And he is fantastic at giving that disdainful, oh, that's bullshit expression when being confronted with a fact that, that this guy just presented. He doesn't care. It's unbelievable. And the guy, it's funny because the guy continues to present this fact. And, and Jake Tapper just continues to have that, oh, that's crazy. You sound like an extremist expression on his face. Jake, let me let me be clear on what I was saying. Yeah. My, my point is, is that if these th th this wasn't a Republican position to to evict Speaker McCarthy is my yeah. point. And, and you're exactly right that unfortunately our country has devolved into such partisan politics that 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 those types of votes are always partisan. But the fact that it was just eight Republican members and th th that voted to throw him out and 210 yeah. Republicans. Look how he scratched his head. Jake Tapper doesn't care. This guy, I don't know who this guy is. This guy's is on CNN, for some reason, trying to make a genuine point. He has no idea, it seems like, that the only reason Jake Tapper is giving him airtime is so that he can show his viewers how to dismiss the very arguments that he is making. Members said, let's keep him because he's kept his commitments. He's exceeded his promises. I think that's really unfortunate. I do have to say, and this is just based on my observations, yeah. that I do think that that a Paul Ryan or a John Boehner were enough uh, of, uh, they had enough respect for institutions that I, I don't know that the same thing would have happened to them, quite frankly. I just don't. I, I, I think that- Who gives a shit about Boehner and Paul Ryan? Nobody's talking about Boehner and Paul Ryan. I, I don't know what, I don't know, maybe he improvised that one, maybe it was on the teleprompter, but pulling out Boehner and Paul Ryan, as though it's going to pull some emotional strings or, or, or some relatability strings with Republicans, that's a little bit boomerish there from Tapper, but you see again the cognitive distance on full display. He's not responding to the actual hard facts of the numbers. He is bringing in arguments to things that nobody's talking about and that make no sense because he refuses to acknowledge to, to himself or his viewers that the Democrats had complete power to prevent McCarthy from being removed and complete power to protect the Ukraine aid that they have said is the most important thing on the planet for the past two years above all else. Because they're not going to let anyone believe that the Democrats are the ones responsible for it being in jeopardy, even though they are. Kevin McCarthy going along with the election lies and trying. Let me take that back. Now, now Tapper goes into the explanations that you and I are going to be seeing our Democrat friends tweeting whenever confronted. So this is the confusion. So they're confounded. They don't know how to explain it. They can't make sense of it. Tapper is giving them a way to make sense of it. Here's why it matters. McCarthy, he January 6th, just a bunch of nonsense. And they will be repeating this stuff all over your feeds and maybe in person.
frankly. I just don't. I, I, I think that Kevin McCarthy going along with the election lies and trying to appease the most extreme elements of your party gave the Democrat. I mean, Mitt Romney said something along those lines earlier today, that he yeah. aligned himself with such extreme factions. He made it impossible for Democrats to support yeah, look, him. Look. So there you go. He made it impossible for Democrats. Democrats, all of them, every single one of them, all 208 of them, who previously told the people who donated to, donated to them and voted for them that uh, Ukraine supporting Ukraine aid is a top priority and that questioning Ukraine aid makes you a Nazi. Those people are, are, are now, they had no choice but to violate everything they have said about Ukraine for the past two years. And because McCarthy appeased a group that they have literally referred to as Nazis, the only choice that they have is to now collapse, is to now work with, stand in solidarity with the Nazis to remove the guy who they admit is not a Nazi and is going to help them with Ukraine. I mean, that's the, that's the reasoning that we have going. This is the justification that that your progressive friends are, are being programmed with, and hopefully they don't they don't buy it because this has gotten to an insulting level. And I think that that's probably part of all of this. They want to see how dumb people are and how little effort people will go to say, ah, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to maybe do a little of my own research and, and see what else I can find because I don't like that explanation. They don't want to give explanations to people. They, they, they probably feel burdened having to even explain the ridiculous statements and lies that they make. We should just accept them. And maybe, maybe that's what they're going to get to here. I will let him continue. This is unbelievable. I mean, this pisses me off. The, the, that the, the, let's let's be clear here. You had so this guy he, again. He says, "Let's be clear." Like he did. This guy is continuing to emphasize the numbers that Jake Tapper doesn't give a rat's ass about. Two hundred and ten out of two hundred eighteen Republicans yesterday that supported Speaker McCarthy because they know that he fulfilled his commitments. He exceeded them. The reality is, with the slim majority that you have, you've got to give respect and some degree of deference to all the views, the diverse views. No, Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper in his head is saying, "No, I I don't have to give respect." To any, he's not giving respect to any review, any views. And this guy, I, he's trying to be so diplomatic. This guy, I, I don't know if he's a new congressperson or what, but he seems very dumb to the media process. Of the conference, the speaker advocated for the speaker achieved some of the greatest conservative successes that we've care. had in modern history. Things like border energy, the greatest savings in American history with what we negotiated in the debt ceiling negotiation, the first environmental streamlining, strengthening work requirements for welfare, all of these great conservative wins he achieved. That's not catering to the, this group of extremists. It's, it's simply advancing yeah, conservative I'm not talking, objectives. I'm not talking about, about that, though. I'm talking about lying about the election. I'm oh, talking talking about not punish so just very in very generally the reason that the democrats had to stand with mccarthy is lying about the election people when they say and then this weird explanation people when they say sorry move that back here it's it's simply advancing yeah i'm not talking objectives. i'm not talking about that though i'm talking about lying about the election i'm talking about not punishing people when they say you know, horrifically bigoted things. I, I, I'm talking about that sort of, you know, speaking at a Look, white nationalist convention. And, and, I'm not talking about conservative and, and, principles. Hang on, hang on, a few things. Like, number one, Speaker McCarthy didn't speak at any... No, no, I'm not talking... Uh, no, no, I'm not talking uh, about uh, him. Uh, uh, I'm talking uh, about uh, Gosar <laughs> and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene doing it yeah, and, like, yeah. him not saying anything about and, it. Well, what's he supposed to do? What's he... What... 
first of all, there's no specificity in what he accuses them of doing. There's no agreement in what they've done. They just run over this assumption. Well, it's just assumed to be true that Marjorie Taylor Greene and all these people spoke at Nazi rallies and said these bigoted things. And like that's not even up for uh, deliberation. We accept that as true, and then we jump all the way to McCarthy didn't come in and do something to these these people who committed s- some sort of crime that uh, only a few people actually believe they committed. Like Jake Tapper and the people in the media, wh- was he supposed to, is he supposed to beat the shit out of Marjorie Taylor Greene? What type of co- condemnation? These are bullshit excuses that he's trying to pump into his viewer's head so that, like, this— they justified and supporting the fact that this guy who is not a MAGA Nazi, they admit that, McCarthy, uh, he's not as bad as them, and he's protecting the Ukraine aid. Uh, they hate the other group, right? They, they hate the other group that, that opposes McCarthy, the Nazis, and yet because McCarthy was a little too appeasing to the Nazis, well, if you're going to appease the Nazis, we have to also become Nazis and kick you out, jeopardizing the most important thing that we have said that exists on the planet for the past two. This is unbelievable. Like it's, I've watched these clips so many times, and I know I'm getting a little worked up here, but like, it is truly extraordinary the the strategy of communication that they're using here. They've lost all, if they ever had any respect for the intelligence of the people that they are targeting with this propaganda. To get mad at people and to be this combative like Jake Tapper is and to dismiss dismiss literal mathematical evidence the same way Colbert did and to make people uh, imply that anybody who actually looks at that mathematical evidence and says, well, it seems like maybe the Democrats have, have a little blame. To, to have that thought come into your mind, to convince them that anybody who does that is insane and that they are actually the Nazis – even though they are the ones recognizing the people who have lied to them as siding with those they call the not- I mean, it's just such a mind F. Like, it really is an effing mind F. And I just, I, so I was thinking about this earlier. I didn't mean to go into this, but the whole, you know the whole frogs, the frogs are gay that Alex Jones has been talking about for a very, very long time. I remember when I first heard that, I think it was like, it might have been 2015, maybe. I, I, I don't know, but I, Got a text message. I'm in this group text message with some friends that I, I do a, a show with, and we still do a show together a couple times a year. We used to do it every week. But one of the two of the my friends are very, very they're progressive leaning. And my other friend is a closet libertarian. I can't tell anybody, he just tells me and some of our other friends. But the one of the my progressive friends texts this Alex Jones meme making fun of Alex Jones being fake news and disinformation with the, the frogs are gay. And that's the example of how big of a, a liar that he is. And I, 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 when I got that, I was triggered a little bit because I remember when I heard that first, when he first said the frogs are gay, or when I first heard him say it, here's what I did, okay? I didn't just assume that he is lying. I didn't assume anything. I said, that's an interesting thing for any person to say. I'm going to look that up. There's obviously something that resulted in him saying this. Let me see if I can find it. And I spent 10 minutes, not even 10, I spent about five minutes. And what I found was a study. I can't remember where the study was from, 
but it was a study that had, I think it, I think it found that the chemicals in the water were causing the frogs to their, their genders to be uh, a little bit, af- uh, you know, Aphrodite, I don't know, switch genders, I can't remember exactly, but when I read it, I said, oh, obviously it's not turning them gay, they can't make a choice about that as a frog, but it is messing with their sexuality. This is clearly what Alex Jones was talking about, right? It took me five minutes to find that study. And when my friend sent that, saying that basically that everything he says is a lie, I I replied with, okay, but... In this case, while he, while the frogs aren't turning gay, and then I linked the literal study, the academic study, and, and it was like a research institute, to my friend, to which he never responded to, right? Fast forward about three years. I think it was 2019, 2020. I don't know why this became a little bit acceptable, but in the same group chat, my friend sends me the exact same study that I had sent him three years earlier saying, well, maybe Alex Jones isn't lying about everything, right? Like, he sent the same thing that I sent him that he obviously never looked at. And and what was the difference? Why did he suddenly look at this information and process it when he did not do that when I sent it to him before? Because somebody on some liberal website that he goes to, a progressive website, linked it, and that's how he was exposed to the information. So it didn't matter. So he had this perception of me as being somebody who's on the extreme right, which I'm not. I, I, I just, I question things. So I was categorized that way. And therefore, any information that I sent that came into conflict with the worldview narrative that his propagandists have programmed him with, anything I sent was just to be dismissed and brushed off exactly the way Jake Tapper is teaching his audience to do right here and the way that Colbert did it in the previous clip. And that's what he did when I sent that. And he was oblivious to the fact that three years later, he literally sent me the exact same study that I had sent him three years prior. I mean, it's mind-boggling the, the power of cognitive dissonance and, and confirmation bias when weaponized against a society. And the refusal, the refusal to like pride might play play a factor in it but i get it i get it man it's it's like a psychological thing we don't even talk about it all that much but it has it has a power over us there's nothing more there's nothing there's no better tool if you do want to like allow yourselves to be exposed to truth or ourselves i should say than humility man and like humility right now especially with the way the world works is just it, nobody's nobody has humility uh, on on all these screens that everybody are on all the time, humility is actually punished and turned into something else by the opponents of anybody who displays it. It's really pretty wild. Uh, Andre says in the chats, that clip of those dim organizers asking their followers to close their eyes and imagine the world they want to create was one of the creepiest clips you and Monica played. Uh, uh, yes, there, so there was this, I used to go to all these activist trainings during the pandemic, and they would do these imagined stories to the people they, that they were indoctrinating, usually women in their 40s who they would – white women in their 40s who they would indoctrinate to go and bring people into the church of anti-racism, follow the path of it. And 
they would get them to close their eyes, open their minds, and they would do, use this descriptive process, which is called an imagined story. Like it's literally a way to try to plant false memories in people's minds. And they did that right on camera. You could see all these women closing their eyes and just, you know, taking it all in because they're ready to believe all of it. Like they're ready to believe all of it. It's pretty wild watching some of those things. I will continue with the clips here. Let me find my spot as I went a little bit tangential there for a second. I just, I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, I can't believe my buddy sent me the same study that I sent him three years before that he totally didn't even read because he was dismissing me as a a deplorable, is what they called him at the time. I didn't vote for Trump, okay? And I I tell him that. But it's still like, oh yeah, okay, you still, you're a mad extremist and everything you do is deplorable. I'll let uh, Congressman Luke Wilson here continue with his I think third plea to Jake Tapper to be clear about the numbers. And, and, and the Speaker of the House has, has had a number of conversations with members that have gotten out of line. Okay, so, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I already played that and, yeah, cut it off right there. But they go back and forth through that entire interview where this guy continues to say, but yes, I, I see what you're saying, Jake, and I'm being very diplomatic and very, very kind the numbers are this was a Democrat choice. And Tapper's like, no, 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 no. That's just crazy. I don't no, no. The whole the guy here's like, I don't know if he has no media training, or maybe he thought he could reach some people by emphasizing this. He he wasn't ready for Jake Tapper's, you know, uh dismissive the power of the Jake Tapper dismissive face. But this is what this guy should have done. He should have stopped Tapper in the middle of all of this and said, I know what you're doing. Okay, you, you, The only reason you have me on here, Jake, is so that you can model to people watching your show how to dismiss the very credible and verifiable factual information that I'm telling you that illustrates that the very Democrats that told them that Ukraine aid is the most important thing in their lives, and if they question that at all. They're a Nazi. Very people that told them that decided with the same group that they've been deeming Nazis for the past two years, destroying the protection of the Ukraine aid that McCarthy represented. Okay. You don't want your viewers to get any inclination of that and start asking questions about that. What you're trying to do is show them how to dismiss all of that information with this little interaction. I understand that you're a piece of shit for that, Jake. You're an actual piece of shit and nobody likes you and you talk through your nose, and go fuck yourself. That is what he should have done. He should have told Jake Tapper to go fuck himself on live TV on CNN, and he should have gone in there saying, I'm never going to be asked back to CNN or Jake Tapper's show, and that's a fantastic thing, because the only reason they're bringing me here right now is because they think I'm so fucking naive that I'm just going to be diplomatic, and I'm going to let him fucking destroy the actual reality of the situation and the truth and the facts so that he can propagate a worldview that is a complete fabrication and a lie to his viewers who might actually be on the brink of discovering truth for once in their effing lives. He should have made that commitment before he went in and burned every single fucking bridge with CNN. He does not need them. And I get it, yeah, well, legacy, fuck legacy media. People thinking they need to rely. Jake Tapper is a piece of shit. 
And he can seem cordial, and he can talk about the Phillies, and he can talk like this. He is a piece of shit who wakes up every morning and says, what do I need to bullshit people about today? That is literally his job, and he knows it's his job, and he's very, very good at it. He's very, very good at making it seem like it's not his job, and that he is sincere and genuine in the bullshit that he propagates for the establishment. If, if he is, and my gosh, I take it all back and I feel sorry for him because he is truly the most naive person on the planet. But there's no effing way this guy who has been at so many Clinton, so many Podesta, all of these meetings, like, like he goes to all the private gatherings for the Clintons and the Clinton Global Initiative and, and whatever. He is, part, he is a controlled media puppet, man. He's good at it. I, like he's effing great at it. I would, I would love to set up uh, um, I would even put a little bit of money into a fund to have an award show specifically to award Jake Tapper with the greatest bullshit propagandist puppet on the mainstream media. Like, he's the best at it. Anderson Cooper, he, you know, he used to be good. Jake Tapper's banging him in the back at, at doing this right now. He's a lot better at it. So there, there's my, it just pisses me off, this moral high ground it has to propagate into people. Man, there I go again. I got to stop going on these rants and stick to what I want to talk about here. So I think that's all I wanted to go with there is we, we are watching in real time our Democrat progressive friends who weren't sure about something and could have possibly found the truth. We're watching their opinions be programmed into their minds with these efforts that Jake Tapper and Stephen Colbert and all these other motherfuckers, uh, it's just, it's terrible, are putting on. What, I, mean, I guess if the paycheck is big enough, you don't care that you just went out and manipulated a bunch of people in a society into believing something that's a complete fabrication. I, I guess you're okay with that. If you're getting paid enough, you might as well get paid enough. What's crazy to me is that they do this at the local levels is they have all the Google News Initiative and uh, all these other global news initiatives that fund the local news around the country under the guise of trying to to save them from becoming obsolete. And the local newspaper here, the AJC, is one of the papers who has received lots and lots of funding from the Google News Initiative. And it you can tell because everything that they report that has mainstream or international relevance is basically verbatim the same thing that CNN and MSNBC reports. They're not saving the local newspapers. They're capturing the local newspapers and propagating the messages of the, of the global mainstream from the most local level to give the appearance that people in your locale believe the same bullshit that people like Klaus Schwab and Jake Tapper are, are, are spitting out of their mouth along with a dozen dicks every single morning. I digress. Where were we? It's, it's cra- like you'll s- watch this. Pay attention to this. You will continue to see this public education effort going on for the next few weeks before it becomes automated in their audiences here. So what was the White House thing? Uh, oh, so like one counter argument to what I'm saying here, which is it's not even it's like the worst argument ever. Is that the Democrats weren't, they didn't really know if McCarthy was going to protect the Ukraine aid. I mean, that's an argument some people are making, which is the dumbest argument anybody's ever made. The only reason that they called for, to oust him was because of his position on finding a way to keep the Ukraine aid going. That's the only, only reason all this happened. If he had been pro, yeah, let's end the Ukraine aid, none of this would have happened, right? And Biden, as I said, multiple times, in the days leading up to this, publicly said, we're okay on Ukraine aid. McCarthy's got us. And McCarthy said similar statements. But 
It is hilarious because you can see the concerns in the aftermath of all of this, at least according to the Washington Post, coming out of anonymous sources from the White House with what they said one top aide. They wrote that one top outside foreign policy advisor told the Washington Post that he had been sending some, quote, holy fuck text to the White House in the aftermath of of McCarthy's ouster about the future prospects of Ukraine aid. And that he said that and, and that he'd been talking to technical people about what they can do and that these conversations have been depressing him. And he only gave this information to them, of course, on the condition of uh, a nan- uh, you know of being anonymous or whatever. It's, it might all be BS, but the, it doesn't change the narrative coming out of it. We can see where it's going. The Republican, evil Republicans, the MAGA Republicans, Donald Trump himself, and he, he, the, the election deniers, the, va- the people who aren't vaccinated, the people who don't wear masks right now, who haven't put them back on, they are all responsible for McCarthy being ousted, and they are responsible for Ukraine aid being in jeopardy. Not the Democrats. Jim Jordan is being, I think I said that earlier, he declared his bid. So the, they knew all this would happen. It's like, they, they try to convince people, oh, we didn't know this was going to happen. No, they knew exactly what would happen. 100%. They knew what would happen. <laughs> it's so stupid. Here's what this one guy said. This is Senator Chris Murphy. He said, the rest of the country looks radically different today if the United States abandons Ukraine. If the decision in the House is to elect a speaker who will fight against Ukraine funding, that's the decision that will be written about in the history books. And that, that is my point. Written about in the history books, who are they going to blame for it in the history books? Are they going to blame the Democrats who are the ones responsible for it, who had complete control of over keeping McCarthy? Again, I'm all for it. I think we should stop the Ukraine aid. I don't like the fact that a bunch of weapons and money we sent end up in the hands of the Azov Battalion Nazis. I don't like seeing the president of Ukraine over in the Canadian parliament standing up with Gay Trudeau, uh, giving two round, standing ovations to a literal 98-year-old World War II Nazi. I, I don't like any of that. I don't like seeing these videos of journalists who are on the ground over there in Ukraine. Some of them were from CNN before they pulled them off the Internet, reporting live on the ground about the destruction that's happened and the propaganda that that Putin's spreading about the denazification. And while she's talking about that, literal tanks are rolling down the street and there are children uh, hiling Hitler to these soldiers that are passing by in the background of these videos. I don't like seeing all of that. That that. I try to show that to my friends who are swept up in this shit. And I'm like, doesn't that bother you? How can you brush that off so easily? Seriously. Like, seriously, for two seconds, tell me that you would be able to brush it off so easily if Donald Trump accidentally stood up and gave a 98-year-old World War II Nazi not one, but two standing ovations in Congress. You guys have not stopped bringing up the Hillary, if you could please, Russia, if you could please find Hillary's 33,000 emails. Everybody who is being genuine knows that that was a joke. It was a response in the moment that was then interpreted as a literal plan by the media put into the minds of the masses. And gen- like good people that I know will cite that as him asking for Putin's help. And I'm like, dude. You are a effing comedian, and you're telling me that you buy this shit? For two seconds, stop having your mind raped 
by these assholes. I don't, I didn't even vote for Trump. Like they get mad. You, oh, you didn't vote. No, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote. I didn't vote for anybody. So you can't accuse me of going to, I've never been to a MAGA rally. I think they would be fun. And I, I think he's hilarious. And I tell people, I think he's funny. I think he's very funny, which is why I should be, I, I, I'm very critical. Like I, 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 when I know that I, I think someone is funny or I like what someone's saying, that those are the people most likely to manipulate me. And so I should be more critical of them than I am of the other side. But they just, they just, they just brush it off. They're like, ah, oh, fuck Trump. I want to buy and I'll suck his dick till the day he dies. Like, it's just crazy. The power of tribalism and cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias weaponized is unfucking believable. This is a lot for six, seven in the morning. It's a whole lot, dude. Now, there's some more like, this is some crazy ass videos here. Um, where was I? And I already talked about that stuff. I'm looking through my talking point, my, my talking points here, which came from no higher power. I, I came up with them with them myself, which is why they are not concise and buttoned up in uh, the exact same thing that you hear from, you know, whatever the uh, government propaganda agency that's closest. It's just, I just get so tired. Um, and I know it's a lot, a lot of it's online. I get it. Like my friends who are, they're, they're brainwashed online. They're still cool people. You know, they're not completely radicalized. Uh, they're not trying to round me up yet, right? Like, I, I am, though. There is going to be, like, a day, a point in time where I'm going to go to, and be like, yeah, Brad, oh, we have an improv show on Saturday, like, 8. Uh, are you available? And I'm be like, yeah, I'm available to do it. And I'm going to show up to the improv show, and everybody's going to come out and stay on stage uh, for the, the beginning, getting, getting the suggestion. And someone's just going to grab me and handcuff me. And they're just going to walk me out of there and be like, you bastards set me up is what happened. I see some comments coming in on uh, uh, Freedom Forever says on Rumble that DARPA has her fingers and all. Yeah, no, DARPA is crazy, man. I like, so I, I've been playing this clip every now and then on shows from a, a, a Georgia Tech chick who is a researcher. They were doing a project project and she starts the whole thing by saying, I can't tell you much about this because it's classified and telling you what I what I'm telling you is dangerous. I mean, it's all bullshit because it's like an official thing. But she, she talks about how DARPA is working on technology that enables them to cloak all uh, cloak uh, jets. So any military jet, they can cloak it and then they can mess with the radars of any other military jet and they can make people or other pilots think that they're seeing things that are on the radar that don't actually exist. They can basically deep fake a pilot's radar, which when I heard that, I was like, oh, so that's what those tic-tac-shaped crafts are. It's cognitive electronic warfare. So yeah, DARPA's like crazy as hell. Um, we see X23 said, just saw Salty Cracker post saying Putin has declared Klaus Schwab a terrorist. Uh, and so, yes, Klaus Schwab is a terrorist. And so Putin does stuff like this and Putin's also using that strategy. And it's like, people be like, oh, well, you think Klaus Schwab's a terrorist, so does Putin. I'm like, okay. You know, Putin might like dogs. So if Putin loves dogs, should I, should I just start kicking every dog I see because Putin came out publicly and announced that he loves dogs? Is that, I mean, this is the type of thinking, binary thinking that people ha have been triggered into with a lot of the, the political shit. And I completely agree that Klaus Schwab is a terrorist, but I also don't trust Vladimir Putin. So those two points of views can exist 
in one brain at the same time. I don't really trust Putin. I also think that Klaus Schwab is a terrorist. I don't trust Biden. Uh, It's just... (laughs) It's just crazy. They don't want anybody in the gray areas. They don't want them thinking. And she says, and hi, just randomly land them here. No clue who the guy being talked about is. But like, uh, thank you. Uh, from the UK. Said, yeah, I was talking about, I think a moment ago, I was talking about DARPA. Before that, we were talking about Zelensky and the Nazis. They stood up and gave the rousing standing ovation for and how people who seeming, are seemingly intelligent, functioning individuals in the world become the stupidest slurring, uh, regurgitating, uh, uh, regurgitating of the propagandist point. You, you can't even talk to them with, with how captured some of them are. So speaking of Ukraine, there's another, uh, like, like the fear over the Ukraine funding, they already have another solution that they're working on since McCarthy's been ousted. And that solution is, they call it critical shortages. This is what the article, I think the Washington Post, here's what it says. It says that uh, um, solutions for keeping Ukraine aid going um, that will alleviate what they call critical shortages. Critical shortages. I mean, how else would you describe only having $7 billion left in the bank? I mean, spare change critical shortages can't even pull that shit out of the ATM machine. Well, I can't, I only got 7 billion in the ATM. How do, how do I pull that out? I mean, that's, you're basically, when you've only got that, that much money left, you're going to your wife and she's like, what's going on? We're we're struggling financially. How much do we have left? Just 7 billion. Oh my God, don't leave me. I promise I'll make this work. I'll make this work. We're just going to have to skimp by eat at home, eat carrots for the next few weeks. We will stretch this $7 billion we have left at least for the next month. And then I'll figure something out, right? You know, it's like, then he goes to like, a, you know, a, a, a mobster in the area. I, I, I never, he, like Potter from It's a Wonderful Life and George Bailey finally, oh, Mr. Potter, I, I, I just, I, I, I I'm, I'm desperate. I had $8,000. I lost it. Now the police are after me and he's begging Potter for money. Is what this person who's down to his last $7 billion, I'm down to my last $7 billion. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to have to start sucking dick on the corner just to pay rent if I don't do something fast, okay? This is, this, this is how they're presenting the fact that we only have $7 billion left in the tank for Ukraine. It's changing the cup holder. And so the, the way they have propose to solve this problem of, of only having $7 billion, go fuck yourself with your $7 billion, is what we're going to do instead is we are now going to, oh my God, we forgot, we have all of these weapons that we stole from Iran, and we're going to give those to Ukraine. We're going to give Ukraine stolen weapons that we forgot we had in the meantime. And, and here's the story on this. Because sometimes you steal weapons from all around the world. You store them somewhere and you forget about them. And thank goodness, because of moments like this, that's when you're going to need those weapons you stole. It says here that U.S. Central Command has already transferred over 1 million rounds of seized Iranian ammunition to the Ukrainian armed forces. This was announced on Wednesday. The transfer was conducted this Monday. The CENTCOM press release said the government obtained ownership <laughs> the government obtained ownership what a orwellian statement that is the government obtained ownership of these munitions on july 20th 2023 through the department of justice's civil forfeiture claims 
against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the statement says. Look, I, I, I'm no fan. I, I, any, any government who's trying to kill people, trying to dominate people and ruin people's lives, I, I'm against it. So I, I'm not on, you, on Iran's side here, but very, from an objective perspective, this is very obviously stealing weapons. I mean, civil fortificature is when the government gives itself the right to come onto your property and steal your property for the good of national security. And that's always going to be the argument. They even said in that bill proposed by Chuck Schumer, that the one about non-human intelligence, they gave themselves the right to, ha- to, to confiscate any non-human intelligent life form that might happen to, to be on this planet. So why would an alien, I don't want to say alien, non-human intelligent life form is what we call them now. Why would you ever come to Earth when they have legislation allowing them to take you into their own possession and do whatever they want to you? It's just, these people are power hungry, sick fucks is what they are. And they went on to say that the Justice Department and the defense officials have been working together to find a legal pathway to send the weapons to Ukraine, and one way is through U.S. civil fortificature authorities, which is interesting because the focus of this article was the civil fortificature from Iran. Civil fortificature usually applies to domestic things that they have confiscated from people, which makes you wonder, is there a situation where they're gonna are they gonna are they gonna take our guns and send our guns? Wouldn't that be crazy if they're like, this is how they they take everybody's guns? Like we did we were never gonna take away your Second Amendment right, but we ran out of Ukraine aid because McCarthy Democrats had nothing to do with it. But we now have to send them weapons, and so we're gonna be confiscating everybody's handgun and sending them over to Vladimir Zelensky as well as all all of your cocaine as well if you have any cocaine. It w- I wouldn't put it past him to do anything like that. Let me see. I see a few more comments here. Let's see. Uh, I totally agree that there's one point of view, and if you present it, you're right. They switch it off. It's it's. So the weapon we talk about guns, talk about about military. Like the the weapon that is utilized the most against the publics of the world is a psychological, emotional weapon. They have they have a a they study that they have. Uh, teams of people. They, that's why they brought Edward Bernays in back in the 20s. They want to know how people are going to react to certain triggers, and they want to know how to condition people to have those certain triggers so that they can later trigger them and know what the predictable responses will be so that they can divide and conquer nations of the world. Tribalism, indoctrination, the thing they fear the most. This is why they killed Socrates in Plato's Uh, Plato's writings, is people coming to their own conclusions, as I said earlier, thinking for themselves and not accepting the prepackaged, narrative-fulfilling conclusions that their propagandists put in their minds. Because once people start doing that, people realize that it is not their fellow citizen in their own country or the citizens of another country who are their enemies. They, too, are propagandized like we are. So any country or any, anybody who thinks that they're not as propagandized as the citizen of any other country is probably one of the most propagandized because it's, it, nobody is immune to that. There's these books that they wrote. 
these letters for the, the Wellington House in the UK uh, during World War One. They, they, they sent these propaganda agents around the world to get close to literary, uh, to uh, movie stars, to powerful people, and to professors at the most prestigious universities to put the, the message, the pro-war messages in their minds so that they could spread that propaganda through what was previously a country that was neutral in the war. And in these letters that Sir Gilbert Parker would write back and forth to, to Lord Northcliffe of the Wellington House, the head of the Propaganda Bureau for the World War II Propaganda Bureau, I think, for the UK. He would mock how gullible Americans are. And he would especially mock how gullible the uh, most prominent and uh, um, well-known academics were in America because they believed that they could never be fooled. They were so confident that nobody could ever get one by them that they were the most easily fooled, which is what propagandists rely on. That lack of humility that, you know, fucking TikTok culture and every humility, it sucks too. Because like I said, when you actually have humility, you then can get attacked by people who look at all these, like it's just fucked up. But yeah, man. It's all a psyop, dude. It's interesting. It's definitely interesting, but it's definitely all a psyop. Okay, God, I'm not even close to what I was going to get through to today. I got to control myself with my ranting here. Um, okay, here's what's the Justice Department. They had filed at least two fortiture complaints against uh, seized Iranian ammunition and weapons this year. And they announced in March, the DOJ did, that they were seeking the fortiture of over 9,000 rifles, 284 machine guns, approximately 194 rocket launchers, and over 70 anti-tank guided missiles, and over 700 rounds of munitions seized from Iran by the U.S. Navy, which is going to be going over to Ukraine now. So you can, like, you or I can't sell or receive stolen goods. That would land us in prison. The government, however... Sending stolen goods to Ukraine doesn't get you prison time. It gets you virtue. It gets you honor. And back to McCarthy, and this is probably the last I'll ever talk about him because I've literally never talked about McCarthy in my life, really, until this past week. And so I have not really been exposed to much of the speeches that he gives. So I apologize because I was fully unaware of how weird he was. I mean, talk about one of the weirdest people the, and I, this is what I do. I analyze uh, the the rhetoric and the speeches that these people get. This guy is so weird, dude. Uh, he gave a speech. So he's ousted, right? And after McCarthy is removed, which he's not removed from the House of Representatives, you would think that they were going to walk him off and execute him behind the Pentagon the way they were talking about. He still is going to be coming into work as a member of the House. Like He's a congressman still. The only thing that changes for him is that he doesn't get to bang a gavel around and, and pretend to be high and mighty. So, so I don't know what the drama was with his leaving, but they gave him like this platform to do like a speech that seriously felt like it started in 2016. I, I felt like I was listening to that speech for like seven or eight years by the time it ended. And I'm not going to subject you all to the entirety of it, but I do want you to hear a, a couple of clips th that I pulled from it. Because I, I need you to help me here. I don't understand how this person can win office. There's some people that I can understand how they win office. I get how they are able to appe appeal 
to the, the, the demographics that they're going for, I get it. I, I don't get how anybody uh, on the planet could vote for McCarthy. Like, I, I, I kind of think he's a, a, um, some sort of robot or, or something. He's just a weird, weird person. He begins his post-speaker speech. That n- who, nobody wanted this speech. Nobody asked for, nobody wanted the speech that he gave, and yet it never ended. It, it's, I guess that was his last time getting to, I don't know, but it's weird. He begins by telling us at this speech that he knows what advice that Ronald Reagan would be giving all of us today if Ronald Reagan were alive. And it's interesting where he goes with this. Let me, let me get this up because I, I don't know that I agree that Ronald Reagan would be giving this advice. That's Stephen Colbert. And I firmly believe if Reagan gave us advice, he would say, if you believe your principles bring people greater freedom, you should be happy about it. I've always been, ha- I've always been excited that I've been a happy conservative. Uh, okay. Well, what the hell does that even mean? That, that, that's what he is confident that Ronald Reagan, were he alive, would say. Again, what he said was, if Reagan were alive today, he, he, he knows that Reagan would tell all of us that if you believe your principles bring people greater freedom, you should be happy about it. And then he says he's glad he's a happy uh, um, Republican. That I, I, I searched pretty long and hard, and if I'm wrong, please let me know. But I'm pretty sure Ronald Reagan never said anything even close to that quote, as far as I can tell. Nothing. He didn't say any of that. Yet, for some reason, McCarthy believes that if Ronald Reagan were alive today, he would tell all of us something that when he was alive, he never once before said. He would say something completely original and new if he were alive today. In fact, what Ronald Reagan would do if he were alive today is... He would, to make us all feel better, as he would quote McCarthy. He would quote former Speaker McCarthy to make us all feel He just told us that if Ronald Reagan were alive today, he would go around quoting me. That, that's my takeaway from that. Like, he, I think that he believes that Ronald Reagan, if he were alive today, would be inspired, so inspired by him that at every speech he gave, he would quote McCarthy. This guy is delusional, dude. He continues. But I've always believed that I've been so fortunate to be an American. God, this guy's so weird, man. He's so weird. My journey to this office. All right, yeah. So he's, he's about to give his journey. And I want you to pay close attention to the timeline, all right? Because it's a very interesting timeline. Here is McCarthy's journey to 55th House Speaker, which he was just ousted from. So I don't really know why he's telling us about his journey after he's been removed, but he is. Well, something people wouldn't understand. We wouldn't understand it, too. I grew up in a town of Bakersfield, California, the son of a firefighter, the grandson of immigrants. Parents. So if you're writing your brand story, you always have to say, I, I grew up in a town of blank, the son of a blank, the grandson of a blank. That's the Mad Libs format for all of these brand speeches. She worked hard, youngest in my family. Didn't have great wealth. and got out of high school, I didn't have great grades. Couldn't get a scholarship. Went to community college. Had nothing. Flipped cars to try to pay my way through it. 
Went to visit some buddies. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, I have to back up for so. Wait, he he <laughs> he tells us that he says he they, he didn't have great wealth, so he chose his words very specifically there. The he he wants to imply with that rhetorical tactic that he grew up broke is is what he wants to imply by saying I didn't have great wealth. He almost definitely had pretty good wealth. He he grew up in Bakersfield. Okay, that's when people are going. I grew up in the third world county of Bakersfield, California. Everybody was struggling to get by. Nobody had food. That's that's not something that is a reality, especially in like the '80s or '70s, when this guy grew up and didn't have much money. Graduates high school, poor grades, starts flipping cars. He starts flipping cars with no money. How do you graduate high school with poor grades? Not the grades. The grades don't even matter. How how just out of high school when you don't have any money? How do you just all of a sudden start paying your way through community college by flipping cars? Did you just, did you just grab any car you could find, sell it? You have to have ownership of a certain amount of cars to begin flipping cars or a financial backer. It's not so simple as the story he's presented. The reason I'm like really harping in on this is because he presents this story in a way as though it's an inspiring tale that any person on the planet who doesn't matter where they grew up in the suburbs of Chicago with no money, not a dollar, no food, they can all follow his model of success, which includes graduating from high school and then immediately starting to flip cars. It's, he's full of shit. He continues. Away in college for a weekend, stopped at the grocery store. Oh, God, I, I interrupted this part. This is the best part after he starts flipping cars. It's just great. Parents worked hard, the youngest in my family. Didn't have great wealth. and got out of high school, I didn't have great grades. Couldn't get a scholarship. Went to community college. Yeah. Flipped cars to try to pay my way through it. Went to visit some buddies. <laughs> Away in college for a weekend, stopped at the grocery store to cash a check, and I won the lottery. Wait, wait what? On the first in California. <laughs> It was before Biden economics. It was only 5,000, but it went much further back then. Took my folks to dinner. Wait, so trying to get, he said up front that nobody, that his story, his journey to the speakership is one that nobody understands. So I am trying to empathize and understand. He graduates high school from uh, like what he would like us to believe is a poor family from Bakersfield, California. And right out of high school, didn't get no scholarship because of bad grades. And the only thing he could do to pay his way through community college, the, he, he could only do the obvious thing is flip cars, right? I mean, I, I know every kid I knew who graduated high school, couldn't afford college uh, uh, and wanted to go to college. They all started flipping cars with no money and no cars. So that's the obvious thing there. And, and then after a little bit of flipping cars, he walks into a grocery store and wins the lottery. That's where we are in the timeline right now. This is an interesting life story. Took the grocery store to cash a check, and I won the lottery. <laughs> One of the first in California. Nice. It was before Biden economics. It was only 5000 but it went much further back then. Yeah, of Took course. my folks to dinner, put the majority of the rest of the money into the stock market, and did pretty well. The next semester, I took a break from school. I went to buy a franchise, but no one said they would sell me one. Wait. Because I'm only what? 20 years old. Oh, of course. But I learned then never to give up. So I opened my own business. Mm -hmm. 
selling sandwiches. <laughs> Three things I learned. First to work, I last. Stop it. I have to stop it. This guy's such a lying ass. This is all. <sighs> Man. How, how are you going to get up there and tell your journey to the speakership in this very dramatic speech and, and make it void of all detail? Zero detail in any of this story. It's just this surface level bouncing from one moment to the next. None of which makes any congruent sense. Let's let's, let's back it up a second. So, he, again, a- after dropping out of college or after graduating high school, again, he um, he flipped cars and then won the lottery. Okay, he won the lottery. He won five thousand dollars. This was in the early eighties, so that's like it was around fifteen thousand dollars at the time. And then he did the thing that he advises every young person to do is he took that money and he invested it in the stock market and he did well. So make sure you do well if you invest in the stock market. And after taking his parents to dinner, uh, um, oh, I guess that was before he put it in there, he decided to drop out of his first semester of community college. He was, he was done with it. And the reason he dropped out is because he, he wanted to buy a franchise. No specifics on what franchise he wanted to buy. He dropped out of college after winning the lottery and investing and doing well because of his dream of wanting to, wanting to buy a franchise, just any franchise he could get his hands on. Yet his dreams came crashing to a halt when no one would sell this 20-year-old a franchise. No clue on how many franchises he tried to buy or the reasoning they said they would not sell him a franchise if he had the money to buy one. I mean, what was he offering these guys? Was he like, look, I got 20 bucks for your franchise and I'll, I'll pay for it along. I'm going to flip cars to pay for it along the way. I don't know what his offers were. But after having his life dream of buying a, a franchise rejected, he did the only thing anyone can do when their plan A in life doesn't work out started selling sandwiches. He became the sandwich king of Burbank. The most famous sandwich seller in the state of California, I'm sure. Believe last to be paid. And as a sandwich seller, he learned the three lessons in life that became the lessons that carried him to success the rest of the way. And he's going to tell us what those are. Only 20 years old. But I learned then never to give up. So I opened my own business. Selling sandwiches. Three things I learned. First to work, last to leave, last to be paid. Just, just take a second, please, and soak in how stupid that last sentence was, the last couple of sentences. I dropped out of college, tried to buy a franchise. No one would sell it to me as a 20-year-old. So I then started selling sandwiches, my own business. That, that's... This is the, I feel like he is going to announce that he's running for president in the next couple of weeks and that he's practicing his life story to relate to potential voters here. And I, and I have to tell you, McCarthy, I mean, you said it yourself at the beginning, nobody can understand your story. I don't think you're winning too many votes with the, I had no money in Burbank, California, flipped cars despite being broke, didn't get a franchise start selling sandwiches, and it gets even better after the, well, the three lessons are you show up first, you leave last, and you're the last to get paid. These are the hard lessons learned of the brutal sandwich business in Burbank. 
I mean, you can, like a lot of people are in the sandwich business, sandwich selling business around the country, but they're not really in the sandwich selling business until you've sold sandwiches in Burbank, California. Motherfucking brutal sandwich selling business out there, man. You'll get killed. It's like gang, it's like sandwich selling rival, rivals. I wonder, did he flip sandwiches like he flipped cars? Like maybe he was buying a bunch of Subway sandwiches and then he was souping them up with cheap, uh, you know, cheap toppings from the dollar store and telling people they were actually firehouse subs and selling them at like a $3 a piece profit. Maybe that was the business he was in because that's pretty creative if that's what he was doing. I don't know. He gives us literally zero detail on the sandwich. <laughs> the sandwich, this guy's an asshole. The sandwich selling a business. Only 20 years old. But I learned then never to give up. So I opened my own business selling sandwiches. Three things I learned. First to work, last to leave, last to be paid. I wanted to finish my college degree. At that time, no one in my family should finish a four-year degree. I bet this guy's grandchildren hates when he goes into a story. But he wanted to go back to college. Don't mean to interrupt. I did pretty well. I now had enough money that I could pay my way. Sorry. Sandwiches. I'm sorry. Three things I learned. First to work, last to leave, last to be paid. I wanted to finish my college degree. At that time, no one in my family should finish a four-year degree. I did pretty well. I now had enough money that I could pay my way through school as long as I went to Cal State. So I sold my business, going to school. I opened up the local paper and said, be a summer intern in Washington, D.C. with my local congressman. I did not know this man, but I thought he'd be lucky to have me, so I applied. Of course. And you know what he did? He turned me down. Oh, my God. But you want to know the end of the story? What happened? I got elected to a seat I couldn't get an internship for. I ended up being the 55th Speaker of the House. All right. Well, so that's... That was quite a time jump, an abrupt time jump we had at the end of that that journey, because the whole like the first ninety five percent of that story was uh, uh, focused on when he was twenty years old, and then all of a sudden it's when he's like in his fifties. Let, let's back it up a little bit there and see. I want to extract what lessons we can take away and what any young people who might be listening, what their pathway to success that they can model after Senator McCarthy because. That's, he's trying to inspire, and he wants people to follow in his footsteps. Again, dropped out after one semester. Um, bought a, why didn't he just go back to flipping cars is a question I had. What made him choose to get in the sandwich selling business instead of just flipping cars? Again, I feel like flipping cars would be more profitable than uh, flipping sandwiches. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But he decided – after what feels like three or four weeks in the sandwich selling business, that because nobody in his family had finished college, that he needed to go back to school. And this all feels the way he tells the story, like it all happened in the time period after he dropped out after his first semester, before the summer of that same year, and then school would start again in the fall. So this was all during, this is what it feels like anyway. Maybe I'm wrong. He didn't clarify. Um, so he had that business open. For a little while, and then, and then he decided that it was time to flip his entire sandwich-selling business for a profit because he had spent the past eight weeks or so building up the most profitable, the most lucrative sandwich-selling business that the state of California or, or the world has ever seen. And there were people beating down his door to buy such a money machine from him at 20 years old. That, that's – I mean, who – 
Like, like, think about that. I started a sandwich selling business after dropping out, then immediately decided I wanted to go back to school and sold my sandwich selling business for profit to use to fund my college. That doesn't make any sense in any world. I don't care what it is. I don't care what logic. It, it, it could be Democrat, Jake Tapper logic. None of that makes any sense. Come to find out, because I did look it up, the sandwich shop that he started, the business, was him selling sandwiches <laughs> out of the back of his uncle's yogurt shop. That's true. That's what his Wikipedia page says, and there's a couple of links to interviews that he did. This business was him hawking sandwiches at the back of a yogurt shop. So inspired guys, that's all you have to do. You have to, you have to graduate, flip cars, sell sandwiches, and then apply for an internship in D.C. with a congressperson whose name you don't even, you don't even take the time to, to, to state or know. And after being rejected, 30 years later, you then become a congressperson. That's the, the pathway to success that this asshole is, is presenting. Is, does any of that make sense to you? No. Why did he tell us that? I don't know. I, said, I think he's workshopping. He's got to be workshopping. He's just, he's just the weirdest person. I, all of these pe- some of these people are obvious like psychopaths or they're, they come off as sociopaths. DeSantis, I've said it, I like a lot of the stuff he does in Florida. He hasn't been great. It's a very hard thing to do to be under the scrutiny of the cameras and the public and pundits all the time. It's, it's pressure, man. I, wouldn't, I don't envy them. I would never want to do any of that. So I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying some people are really good at it. And you, you can see Vivek actively practicing his technique in all of his public interviews and debates. Like That's why I think Vivek goes out so much and allows himself to be interviewed and puts himself on camera because I think he's, just, I think he's like, I got to get out there and do this and learn and get better, which DeSantis did not do. Um, DeSantis will get better, but... DeSantis, while he does come off as the guy who's going to be slit and throat day one, like he said, nobody comes off as more awkward and strange as McCarthy. McCarthy, like right there, I think all you needed was two sentences of McCarthy's speech to know that he's a person you never want to leave anybody's children with, ever. Like, ever. I mean, th- th- there's this episode of South Park, I think it's from last season, where it's the one about Meghan McCain and the prince and they move to South Park because they're on a worldwide privacy tour. They, all they want is their privacy, yet all they do is, is try and draw attention to each other. It's funny. But there's a store in that episode called Come Hammer, where people go to buy brand personalities for themselves so that they can live a better life. And each brand personality, the, the guy at the store, he types it into the computer and he says, oh, I've got a brand personality for you. And all of the brand personalities are super surface level obviously. And they're kind of like, you're a strong, rugged, independent entrepreneur victim. So they all are this very generic and then victim at the end. It feels like McCarthy went to come hammer and got his brand story right before he told the speech because he's eyeing a presidential run. I'd be funny if he ran. I mean, it's, he's almost so psychopathic and unaware of reality around him that uh, I, I think it might even be fun if some jackass like that ran. But to wrap all that up, I spent way too much time on that. Way too much time on that. We went from this guy quoting Reagan or saying, if Reagan were alive, what he would be doing to inspire you is quoting me 
to him talking about his uh, um, his sandwich flipping business. And, and now we have him comparing his the, the, the struggles that he has faced and the struggles he's facing now with the struggles that someone else faced years ago, whom he quotes, that is one of the most inappropriate comparisons and quotes that I have ever heard in my life. Out of touch, nothing screams it more than this. Eventually, once it's... To paraphrase Lou Gehrig, he said, I might have been given a bad break, but I truly still consider myself to be the luckiest man on the face of the earth. There's no other country that you could rise to be the 55th speaker, not get an internship, and be able to fight for the American public. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Senator McCarthy. It, it's his, I mean, he's going to be coming back to work tomorrow. Well, when they get back from their vacation. He just, so Lou Gehrig died of ALS. He was diagnosed with a debilitating and terminal neuro... Uh, generative disease that there was not any treatment or cure or anything they didn't know how to handle it back at the time I don't even, they still ha- don't know exactly how to handle it they have better stuff now but a, a disease that robbed Lou Gehrig of his control of his control of all of his muscles in his body of his ability to swallow and eventually of his ability to breathe on his own it slowly crippled him until he was wheelchair bound unable to do anything for himself until it eventually killed him. That was the future that Lou Gehrig was facing when he made that quote on the baseball field, which is a very inspiring moment. It truly is. It, it truly My mom had an illness for 18 years that was, had a lot of similarities with ALS, and it is a, it, it, it's a, it's a very, very sad thing because people's minds – they, their minds work. They, they can, they want to express themselves because they've lost control of their muscles. It's harder for them to. It, it is a difficult, difficult thing that I personally have no understanding of because I've never been in that situation, right? I, I, I've, I've been around it, but I haven't been in it. Um, him, quoting Lou Gehrig, right? Lou Gehrig, that's what he, Lou Gehrig was not facing uh, still getting to come to work in Congress tomorrow just without my gavel. That wasn't the, the challenge of Lou Gehrig's future, okay? This was the most out-of-touch quote. I mean, this guy is trying to, like, pair himself and associate himself with Lou Gehrig and the overwhelming effing, like, truly, truly, uh, uh World, I can't. I don't even know how to express it because it's. I don't want to act like I can't express what someone in that position feels because I can't. And this guy is trying to like make it seem like him being outed as House Speaker is comparable to Lou Gehrig being diagnosed with ALS. Go fuck yourself, dude. Seriously, go fuck yourself, you motherfucker. That's a bunch of bullshit. How did anybody vote for this guy? I mean, he. It's like. It's like he's going, would, I, I'm like Lou Gehrig. Why are you like Lou Gehrig? Because I tried to acquire a franchise once, and I failed, so I had to start a sandwich-selling business because I never give up, like Lou Gehrig. Like, no, go, fuck you. That's not like Lou Gehrig at all. Fuck you. 
and your sandwich shop. I, I bet his sandwiches were disgusting. I, you know, I would vote if I, I, don't, I don't know where he lives, but if he were to run for president and I would like to like start a campaign for this, I would actually vote for this psychopath. This weird, I mean, you got to be really weird to be the weirdest douchebag in Congress. And give this motherfucker the award. I'm serious. There's nobody that tops this guy. This is like a guy who goes to gangbangs and, and has sex with himself. I, I don't even know. That, that just, that came to me because I think that's what this guy does. I think he loves going to these gangbangs in Washington and fucking himself and then telling all of his friends the next day how he really banged himself the night before. Because what a great accomplishment to bag the sandwich king of Burbank, California. I fucked the sandwich king of Burbank, California last night, a.k.a. myself in the corner, while everybody else was getting the train run on him with mask on, like that weird Tom Cruise movie, in some basement out in Washington, D.C. I just took a total right turn. I understand that. But this is the type of person that McCarthy comes off as to me. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe we would rather have somebody representing us who fucks themselves all the time in these dark alleyways in D.C. instead of just being somebody standing in line of a gangbang of a person whose face you don't even, you don't even know who they are. So maybe it's better. I don't know. It's personal preference, especially if you can make sandwiches. But yeah, that's who, that's who I think this guy is. I might, I might've gone, I might've gone overboard. I should, I should say that. I apologize if I went overboard. Earmuffs. I guess I should have said that at the beginning. I should just always preference my shows with earmuffs because if I'm not editing the show and I'm not stopping myself during it, I have a hard time not swearing. I do try to, and I can wrap that in sometimes. I don't need to swear as much as I do. I do understand that. But, man, it's just hard not to when you see the sandwich king of Burbank just talking all this bullshit like that, man. Like, I would, I want to see a list of people he, he, tried to, he tried to acquire businesses from. I want to see who he sold a sandwich shop to. And I would like to know if he would win my vote by going on a nationwide tour of selling or making sandwiches. I want to see this guy in action because if he can make the best sandwich in the country, then I'll consider his vote. Maybe he's weird because he's so focused on the art of sandwich making and selling. I can appreciate somebody who are passionate about the thing that they do better than everybody else. What he does better than everybody else is definitely not connecting with real world human beings who aren't weird as fuck, in my opinion. I don't know. Okay, so, my God, this was supposed to be, like, a lot shorter show than this, but I, I'm going to do, like, I need to get to what I promised in the beginning, so I'm going to skip one thing and go to the, all right, the emergency alert test. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up the show, and then I do have for the DMBXR, and I'm going to continue because I want to talk about this story of this guy who rigged the lottery, like, legally rigged the lottery. It's such an interesting story, and, of course, you can't do it anymore. Because once somebody solved the system, of course they make it illegal. But it's still a very interesting story. I want to tell you guys about it. If you want to get access to that, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report. Subscribe there today. You'll get the, the DMB ad free. I take all of the ads out for subscribers and I put it together with the DMB XR. And it goes into your own Patreon RSS feed that you can put into any podcast app that you listen on. And if you 
aren't in a position where you want to be a subscriber, then another way you can help out the show is you can go to any podcast app and, and leave a five-star review and a message that warms my heart and makes me feel bad about not swearing so much, which um, I do. I, I will do better at. But also, you can let the ads play through if you're listening on a podcast app. We don't get anything from them if they're skipped. So it does help out the show. It helps us keep going. We're not like Jake Tapper. We don't have 12, 15 people who are producing it. We don't have a, a couple million dollar budgets. I have me, myself right now. And then sometimes Ian, when he helps and Cam, I'm trying to get Cam to come back. He had a baby. He has like 18 babies now. So he's been busy, but hopefully uh, we'll have Cam coming back again and uh, talking with us. And Stella joins us uh, quite often. So a lot, a lot of cool people that uh, come on the show and help out. But right now, me, myself, and Irene, baby. So patreon.com slash propaganda report. Propagandafight.com is the uh, website. YouTube.com slash Brad Binkley. Rumble.com slash the prop report. And at Freedom Act Radio on Twitter. So last story for the DMB. Did you guys get the emergency alert notification? I think it was what, Wednesday that they did this. Did, did your phone blast your eardrums so i mean did did blood come shooting out of your eardrums like they did mine with this one minute emergency alert system like that's how you know it worked is if in every home in america you see eardrum blood splattered all over the wall from this obnoxious awful alert that they forced on us that you could not even turn the alerts off to prevent there were ways to prevent it but most of us didn't know how to do that. It worked for me, okay? My eardrums were shattered, and it worked so well th- this, uh, that I could hear this, this blaring. It, it was blaring out of my rotary phone that it, it worked so well. And I ripped the phone out of the wall, threw it into the yard. My rotary phone is still blaring like an amber alert. I, don't, I smashed it. I ran over it with my car, still blaring, still telling me that there's nothing to worry about. We're just doing a test. And it even worked so well that I could faintly hear it blaring from the nanobots inside my vaccinated neighbor's body. Like, he was talking to me, and I'm like, what is that? Oh, that is the emergency alert system going off in your vaccinated nanobots. So it worked very successfully. It's operational. They're, They're emergency alert. They just need to now teach FEMA in Hawaii how to make sure their emergency alert system goes off because apparently, as we know in Hawaii, the emergency alert systems only go off when there is no fire and there is nothing to worry about. When there is something to worry about, no emergency alert up there. That's what we've learned this year. I saw an interesting story about something I hadn't thought about related to the emergency the emergency uh, alert testing, which was there were these teachers, these public school teachers who were contacting FEMA like asking them what they should do because I I didn't even think about this. Let's say, so I graduated with like 600 people at my school. And so there's probably a couple thousand people at, at more at some public schools. And there's all the teachers and the administrators. And it wasn't like this when I was in school, but nowadays every single one of those people almost has a phone, right? And they have the echoey hallways in, in, in the school and in the classrooms. So you have like a literal, you know, audible nightmare here. I, I, have, I had holes in my eardrums as a kid. So whenever I flew when I was younger, there was instances where I had to immediately go to the hospital because when we started, you know, going down to land, my eardrums blew out. It's, it's, it sucks, dude. And I'm just imagining the, the god-awful sound of like thousands of cell phones going off with this blaring, 
just, I mean, like, really, really piercing alert system in the school. And these teachers wanted to know how they can, you know, make this not so bad. And so FEMA's response to them was, well, you should really just let it happen and talk to your students about the emergency alert system and what it means. So it's like, screw you. Your eardrum, put on some headphones if you're worried about it. But there was another situation that I, I wondered about, which was, what if there's like an undercover cop who turned all of his alerts off and he didn't think about it and he's like staking out a drug cartel, he's hiding in a warehouse somewhere, then all of a sudden emergency alert, cover blown, which FEMA actually responded to a Q&A question about not that exact circumstance, but about the circumstances of people who have secret phones because they are the victim of domestic violence. They wanted to know what should people like this do to make sure their secret phone doesn't get found during this emergency alert and that the messages on their phone aren't seen. And, but, you, you know, they don't want it to be found. And so what FEMA said was, basically they said, I am uh, summarizing, they said, turn off your secret phone completely if you don't want your abuser to discover it, realize that you've been lying to them, read the messages on it, and then beat the shit out of you for having a secret phone. That's not exactly what FEMA said, but that is what FEMA implied in response to a question about that specific thing, which is interesting that they didn't just make this information publicly available on the website prominently, okay? Why did somebody have to ask them what people with secret phones needed to do, which they also said, if you want to be sure your abuser doesn't find your secret phone, wait 30 minutes until after the emergency alert and drive 30 miles away. I think it was like 30 miles away and then turn your phone back on. That's pretty elaborate, and they only offered up that solution when prompted. They were just okay. They knew this, and they were okay with it happening. It was almost like a burden to be asked that question. It's like every year we do these emergency alerts, or every couple of years, and we always get these questions. What about my secret phone? What if my abuser finds my secret phone? Really makes us here at FEMA want to beat the shit out of those people with all of these questions. That's what it felt like. In their response to this question, they should have been informing people about before. It is kind of crazy, too, because another question was like, so how did FEMA do this? How did they even make everyone's cell phone go off? Most of them. And FEMA was just like, oh, we just have this system. It's called this. It had some acronym. It's called this, and it does this. No actual explanation for it. There are phones, they said, that can get around it, but... They don't tell you which ones they are, and they're probably like the old bag phones that your, our parents had, like in the 80s or 90s, that they took the satellites down four years ago. So my, my dad worked for AT&T years ago, and when I was a kid, he got my mom this, like, bag phone. You know, it's, like, cool. It's, like, really cool. I love it. I still have it. And it's just really – I mean, you could – if you were – somebody came to mug you, you could just really knock the hell out of them. With this thing, it was like, you know, 80 pounds, this back phone. And my mom would carry it in the car with her and it had this Velcro. And you could, I mean, you had to, this, this thing was, you know, this was a force. You pull it out and it's just really cool looking. It's so 80s, early 90s. And up until like five or six years ago, those phones still worked. And they worked better than any cell phone that existed, apparently. Something like that. Maybe it was longer than five or six years ago. But because of the way they worked, they were... They had better connections, higher quality than any of the smartphones. And so what happened is they, they like either took those satellites. I, I don't know the details of it. I'm not good at the technical aspects of this. But they somehow disabled the ability of these phones to connect to that because they didn't want them being better 
than these new smartphones that they could track us with. So, so long story short, my bag phone doesn't work anymore. It just looks cool. Um, and uh, all right. So the, the main thing I want to tell you guys about this was Defense Secretary Anthony Blinken, he, he did like a, seems like a pre-planned stunt, pretty obviously a pre-planned stunt during the emergency alert. He was giving a speech at the University of Texas and there's all these students in there as described, like uh, the principals at the school worrying about all of the phones going off. So some phones went off while Blinken was speaking to all of these University of Texas students. However, not enough phones went off for that group to not have been told to turn their phones off. It's very obvious to me that they were told to turn all of their phones off and that a couple of phones, probably some people who work in the State Department, were left on so that they could intentionally interrupt Blinken so that Blinken could deliver a very revealing, obviously pre-planned quip to being interrupted by the emergency alert system. Let me get this off here. That sounded kind of weird. Get this off here and get the blinking clip up. This is like a crazy clip, I think. And I think he's just telling us exactly what's going on. Yeah, here he is. Here's Blinken. Blinken is Blinking the, the blues guitar mus- musician. So that's one side of the point. But here's the other side of the point. And here's fundamentally why it's so important. Uh, there it is. This might, be, might be our Russian friends interrupting us. You hear that? Well, but I'm glad to know the national alert system works. Yeah, he knows it so works. that's one side. Right. What, what information is he pairing right there? The national alert system working with what? Let's, let's hear this asshole one more time. Here's fundamentally why it's so important. Uh, this might be, might be our Russian friends interrupting us. <laughs> well, but I'm glad to know the national alert system works. Got, got it works. So he's glad to know the national alert system works in the context of our Russian friends could be doing something to trigger it. This is all great reset. Uh, Russia evil, China evil, world war propaganda, in my opinion, all the way down to the emergency alert. That was planned. Blinken is trash. He played blues guitar at some weird. I I don't need to see Anthony Blinken, who is lusting for war blood like 95 percent of the time, acting like he is a blues musician at some White House event with a dozen other people who also are horny as F to go kill a bunch of people. I don't need to see that on Twitter. And obviously, I don't have to look at it. But this is a guy here. These guys are so, they're polished. They have all their messages. And they have an audience full of students here who are probably in the political science uh, department who see this guy as, what a, oh man, he's, they, they think he's just some cool dude having some quip unexpectedly to something. No, this is planned because he wants to put in the mind of every student there, Russia bad, Russia bad. Um, They might nuke us and get ready with the emergency alert. They're not going to nuke us. It's all bullshit. It's all fear propaganda, in my opinion. And F that guy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get out of here now. I was going to talk about the offensive Halloween decoration. Maybe I'll do that in the XR. Probably not because I have already rambled on for almost two effing hours. I have to get control of myself here. Looks like it might rain today. Okay. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for putting up with the show today as long as it was. And thank you for all the comments and the chats on YouTube, on Rockfin, on Rumble. And I don't know if there's any on Twitter, but I do appreciate the interaction. 
makes me feel good to know that you guys are, are there. And uh, I love reading. I love reading all the comments and stuff. Once I get better at all the technology stuff, like I've been telling you guys, I'll be able to put more on screen and react more directly to all of them. So we'll talk to you guys next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.